You're listening to an Irreverent Podcast. Visit Irreverent FM for more content from our friends. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, everybody, and welcome. My name is Janice Lagana, and this is God Has Not Given an evangelical podcast featuring me and my failing faith in conversations with my friends and family. And this is me slowing down a little bit. Consistency is key. That's what they'll tell you, and they're right. But our world is so fast-paced, and so many things are competing for our attention all the time, it is so easy to fall into the trap of thinking of everything in terms of quantity, in terms of always producing, always being seen, always being heard. We start out desperate to carve out a space, and then find ourselves desperate to keep it. But the truth is, people will find us, see us, hear us, as needed, on their timeline. And that will almost never line up with our ideal timeline. But what is time? The release of this episode will take this little podcast to just over 3,000 streams. And that is insane. And I am insanely grateful to everyone who is listening and to everyone who is speaking. These friends of mine and their stories are so full, so weighty, and so worth our time. I'm going to give us all a little more time between them. So whatever this new schedule is, we'll figure it out. And it'll be great. You'll see. And on that note, episode 2.2, here we go. So, Cheris, I want to say we met in 2012? Yeah, 12 or 13-ish, because that's when I came to Hillsong. Okay. Yep. Yeah, met through Hillsong, and then (laughs) went through Hillsong. (laughs) through Hillsong. (laughs) Scarred by Hillsong, and then escaped Hillsong. Through with Hillsong. (laughs) And here on the other side, so outside of Hillsong, mm-hmm. we definitely were at one point Christians. Yeah. The question is, are we now? I don't even know what to call myself because, I, no, probably not. No, not not according to. <laughs> All right. Well, you get to decide this week. So give me three things that make someone a Christian. What I always learned is that number one, as a Christian, you believe the Bible is the infallible word of God cover to cover, and it cannot have any wrong in it. I call that incorrect, because I find that a lot of people who actually say that have never read the Bible cover to cover. And let me tell you, once you do, you probably will become an evangelical on that very day. (laughs) So that's, we can talk about that later, the research that I did, even through praise and worship. Um, mm-hmm. so number one would be believing the Bible holy. I do not. So that's one check for Jared right. not being a Christian. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's so many. I could only pick three. 
I don't even know. Like, I'm so... The word itself is such a trigger that my mind is already confused. I get that. I think another thing that I just can't get behind and that even as a Christian, even as the most devout Christian, I could never get behind was the idea that if someone does not hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they automatically go to hell. I was supposed to believe that. That was something that I always felt like a bad Christian for not completely believing. My thought was always that well, God is merciful, so there must be some arrangement that he has for people who never hear about Jesus. Because there are so many people in this world that don't get to hear, even though our pastors and evangelists do such a wonderful job preaching the gospel all over the world. They do such a good job, never get distracted, always on it. Don't get me started. So... That that's so that's a strike against me. So no, not a Christian there. All right. And number three would be the relationship thing. Like they're always so big on Christianity's not a religion. Is it a relationship? Truth be told, I wish it were a religion because when I went to a synagogue with my Jewish friends, I felt perfectly comfortable. Uh, when I would talk to my Muslim friends, I felt perfectly comfortable. I only seem to have PTSD from Christian churches. I think that needs to be looked at as to why that is. It's that whole, this has to be your whole life and it's a relationship. And then you spend all your time looking for this relationship and it feels like you're alone. And then again, PTSD and and you're in therapy going, what's wrong with me? So I can't say that I have this relationship with God, but I, I think my relationship is that I believe that it exists. Yeah. But I don't view it in the reign of through the lens of Christianity anymore, because honestly that God is a, is a narcissistic absentee father and I'm not dealing with that, but I do believe that there is a God that's in charge that loves this earth and loves us all. But I don't know what that relationship directly with me is supposed to be. And I'm accepting that you made me and I'm here and you're there and I'm going to just live my little life and sing for Disney and we leave each other alone because I don't need any more emotional breakdowns. Great. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, having said all that, (laughs) welcome to my brain. It's really fun. Oh, I am. I'm a little scared because I feel like I'm already in there. (laughs) Because, so, all right, see, so you're not a Christian. I'm not a and Christian. according to those, yeah. I am not a Christian because yeah. I do not believe the Bible is infallible from cover to cover. I, too, have always been very uncomfortable with the idea of people not, you know, hearing the gospel and therefore being condemned because yeah. of that. And I, too, I do not buy into the religion. It's not a religion. It's a relationship thing. Yeah, I think Christianity is very much a religion, if not um, the, the, if not the worst, or maybe I, that's me probably speaking from my own pain. So that may not be an objective statement, but just in my experience with people of other religions, they enjoy their religious practices, but yeah. their minds are not controlled. Yeah. Like I worked at a, a I was a preschool teacher at a synagogue for two years. The best place I have ever worked in my life besides being a singer, of course. Mm-hmm. And as a black woman in, in this environment with Jewish people, I never once, never once Janice felt 
all the things that I usually feel as a black woman. I didn't feel like I was treated differently. I didn't have people talking to me. Hey, girl, how you doing? Trying to talk black to me. I felt heard. I felt seen. I felt like I walked into a room and I was a human being. Like, it was a very rare experience for me seeing that because that's not something that we experience on a daily basis as black women. And they knew that I wasn't Jewish Did they treat me any different? Did they question me? Did they try to convert me? No, they let me be me. And they're like, you just take care of these children. And it was just such a great environment. And I was like, is this what it was supposed to be like in church? But it went awry. Or maybe it was just that particular synagogue because they're very liberal and they're very, like they have a, um, a couple of the rabbis, rabbis are part of the LGBTQ community. The head rabbi is an Asian woman. So I guess that particular environment is just very loving and has a lot of common sense. So I may have just gotten lucky there. I don't know if the entire Jewish religion is like that, but I'm like, hey, man, maybe religion's not so bad if this is how people act when it's just history and practice instead of let me take over your brain and try to run your life and every decision you make, I have to be in charge of. Ooh. which Christianity called relationship. That's not a relationship. That's an abusive relationship. Well, speaking of <laughs> whatever it was, we were, we were both in it at one point. So yeah, girl, we were. So tell me about that. How'd you, how'd you get into that abusive relationship? Where, where did that get started? That got started very young. So my dad was actually a pastor when I was little at a Baptist church. Um, and I don't remember those years of being the like official preacher's kid because my parents got a divorce when I was five. And then my dad wasn't a pastor anymore. Um, so we weren't going to church much, but our house was still very, 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 very conservative Christian. Mm-hmm. And I do remember accepting Jesus. I asked my mom, it was Easter, and I asked my mom, what is Easter for anyway? And she gave me this look of horror, like she'd failed as a parent or something. Because the last time we had been at church was when they were married, and then like so, and then I'm six and seven and becoming more cognizant. And I was like, Well, what is what is Easter? And then so my mom sat me down in the chair later on and led me in the salvation prayer. I think it was five or six, and we're in that ugly brown chair with the flowers. I will never forget that chair in Southfield, Michigan. So I accepted Jesus then. I think I was five or six because it wasn't long after my parents divorced. And we weren't in church much. We went to church from when I was age six to 12. We went to church on the holidays, Christmas, Easter. We went to church every now and then. It was a very blissful, peaceful time in my life. Yeah. And then because it was just it was a religious practice. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then. When I turned 12, we started going to this AME church in Detroit called Oak Grove. And my dad would have me go with him all the time. But I still wasn't feeling it. So we had an agreement that I go to church and all I have to do is attend. But then I can sit there and just read. While being in church, doing nothing, I would just sit and literally just read the Bible straight through. Because I was bored with the message. And I'm like, well, I'm in church, God, and I'm reading my Bible. And when my dad asked me how I felt about going, I was like, I don't like church, but I go because God wants me to. So here I am. And I'll just sit and read my Bible. And I hope that God is happy with that. So that was from 12 to 14, 15 at 15. I went to this church with my dad called word of faith, international Christian center in Southfield, Michigan. That was the beginning of the problems. Um, And I still 
maintain to this day, this church is a cult it, and they're mm -hmm. still, and a lot of people have realized it over time, the pastor was a very, and still is a very heavy Trump supporter. And his, and the pastor is a black man who was anti-black lives matter. That tells you a lot right there. Yeah. Um, he's against the whole defund the police. Like, um, and the messages were just different than what I heard. And they caught my attention at 15 because all of the messages were geared toward God wants to have a relationship with you. And this is a dangerous and bad world. But if you have a relationship with God, you will be safe from all the danger. If you get cancer, God will heal you if you obey him. Um, if you can't pay your hospital bill, but you've paid your tithes, God will make sure your hospital bill was paid. So it was a, uh, I guess they call it prosperity preaching. It was very much giving God will give it back to you a hundredfold. Do it and God will do it back to you a hundredfold. And then I was sucked into that man within Within a year, I was leading the worship team. I was on what we call the SWAT team, which is the soul winning attack team. That's when you go out. It was Detroit, so we went out on Belle Isle. We went into the hood or wherever, or to the Eastern Market, and we witnessed to people in groups of three. And I was, me and my two best friends were like the first youth, because uh, at first, if you were under 18, you weren't allowed for safety reasons. But we were like the first youth that they allowed to go out there. And we're like, we're pioneering for Jesus. Look how, look how far ahead we are in life. We're, we're going out and winning souls for God at only 16. We're so ahead. And, um, but the main message of that church was always, even though it's always preaching grace, it was also always contractual. It's like, if you do this for God, he will do this for you. You can also imagine after a certain amount of years that teaching starts to fall apart a bit because you start to see people die of cancer that you know that you prayed for. Um, I will never forget a bunch of us in youth were pray praying for a friend's mom. And then one of the youth called me and they're like, she died. And I was like, but no, we prayed for her. She can't die. And we prayed in faith. We fully believed that she'd heal. So she can't die. That doesn't make sense. It's like, she's dead. And I was, I just remember being, it still, it would not compute in my mind for a couple of years. Cause I was like, well, I know that we prayed and we were taught that if you prayed the prayer of faith and you fully believed it, God has to do what you have prayed for because he responds to faith. Right. Um, and we were also taught that if, um, if some, if someone does die, if they have cancer and they die, if they get in a plane crash, I have a story about that, that is sickening and heartbreaking that it was because you did not listen to the Holy Spirit or to God and you missed God's will or that you had a secret sin in your life that you had not surrendered to God yet. And the enemy was able to enter through that little secret door and kill you. So these are the things we're being taught as impressionable teenagers. You can imagine the effect this has on a growing mind. <laughs> I'm still working through a lot of that stuff too. Like I don't um, have to imagine. I Yeah. I've been there. Yeah. So, yeah. and I'll never forget another story of my pastor telling us that. So the music, this is a mega church, by the way, had 20,000 members. Um, and you know, the guy, Kenneth Copeland, who they showed laughing at the devil. Oh, uh, I know Kenneth Copeland. That was our spiritual father. So mm. to, give you a, to give you a scale of the crazy that we're dealing with. He was our spiritual father, so my pastor basically honored and did everything this guy said. Kenneth Copeland, yeah. the guy who was blowing on COVID to go away on camera that y'all all saw on Instagram, 
he was yeah. our spiritual father. Yay, so much fun. He's so sane. We love him. Anyway, well, the, oh, the music pastor. So we had a beloved music pastor that actually died in a plane crash. And our pastor got up there and told thousands of vulnerable, hurting people that the reason that he died is because he did not listen to the Holy Spirit and not get on the plane. Um, Bishop Butler was also to be on that flight, but he decided to just stay behind. Now, at the time, he didn't say God told him. He just said, he just told his music minister, hey, I'm going to stay behind. I don't feel like flying, whatever, whatever. It wasn't like Holy Spirit told him, don't get on the plane, it's going to crash. The music pastor, it was his wedding anniversary that night. So naturally, after being on the road with Bishop Butler, he wanted to get home to his wife as, and, and child as any good father would. Yeah. Bishop Butler gets in the pulpit and tells us for multiple years, I was a member of this church for five, six, seven years. Every year when he brought around the listening to the Holy Spirit series message, this always came up. It was that this man who served God and did what he's supposed to do, died in this plane crash because he wasn't listening to the Holy Spirit that night. And I was, I ended up not getting on the plane. Like he completely, and as an adult now, I can see he completely manipulated and twisted that story and preyed on our vulnerability. Yeah. Back then when you're 15 years old hearing this, you're like, Oh my God. So that's just to give you a couple of examples of that church that I was at. Um, then I graduated from college and I moved to Chicago and went to another church called City Church Chicago, which was affiliated with Hillsong. Mm-hmm. So we know, what the, we know what Hillsong is like. Everybody knows what Hillsong is like now. This was a small church that was just starting, but um, they really wanted to be a Hillsong church. So we, we sang all the Hillsong music. We did, that's why when I came to Hillsong Church, I pretty much knew literally every song they had ever recorded because I, I was the vocal director there. I was at City Church for the three-ish years I was in Chicago. And then that environment started to feel very, I started to realize a lot of manipulation going on there. Mm -hmm. So I left. But then also a couple months after leaving, I had moved away anyway. So that wasn't such a, and then I moved to New York and I walked into Hillsong Church very carefully. And I was like, Cheris Vaughn, you are not going to do this again. You're going to walk in this church. You're going to listen to the nice music and you're going to leave. You're not going to volunteer. You're not going to be going to connect group meetings and all this stuff, even though eight people have already asked you if you're in a connect group. Go home, Cheris. You are not doing this again. Well, I did it again. (laughs) Some people have patterns. My pattern is church. Church is my abusive boyfriend. I am that Mm -hmm. girl. I, 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 it's, I don't, I have a weakness. I don't know what it is. There's something in me that innately just wants to save the world. And I get near a church and I hear those messages and I am under a spell. Like it's, it's, I'm not proud of it. It's a problem. So I went into church and I was volunteering. Um, I think the way I started off volunteering, what team was I on? Oh, I came in and told them, I didn't know that being on the worship team, you had to be special. So I came in straight up and I was like, hey, I'm a singer. How do I audition for praise team? And I immediately got all these weird replies. And they're like, well, um, actually, if you really want to serve, maybe you should just serve. Uh, do, you like to, do you like to speak to people? We could put you on the host team. And I was like, yeah, sure. And I was like, but I, I mean, you probably want me on the worship team just because I already know how to do that. And I don't really, I'm a singer and this is what I know how to do. And it's not even tooting my horn, but it's like, this is what I do for my, this is what I do. Mm -hmm. So, um, 
they started having those vocal nights at the recording studio. Do you remember that? I do. And yep. um, so I was going to those for a good couple of years. Meanwhile, I joined Ashley and Mir. I met Ashley there, and mm-hmm. she invited me to her connect group. And I was like, maybe. <laughs> but you know Ashley, like literally the coolest, most genuine person ever. So I ended up, I didn't go to their connect group, but they were having like a picnic at the park. And I think you may have been there. And that's where I met Ashley. I met Mary that day. Mary made fried chicken and had brought us to the park. And we were all just hanging out there. After that day, I was like, okay, this Ashley and Mary, these two seem like safe territory. Yeah. So I'm going to check out this connect group. So then I started going to their connect group. Um, after a couple of years after that, then I finally got invited, invited to join the worship team. Oh, oh my God, I've been invited. Oh, you finally noticed my value as a human being wanting to serve God. Um, so then I joined worship team. And yeah, then after a couple of years on worship team, I know in 2015, I started vocal directing. And I know in 2015, I just had this emotional breakdown literally backstage at church. And I was like, I got to get out of here. Mm. So that was the last time I was at church. It's 2015. Yeah. I've not gone back and do not miss it at all. So that's my long church story. And that's the short version. <laughs> Sorry for the tangents. No, that was great. So what, what you listeners may not know is that Cheris is an amazing vocalist. Thanks. So yeah, she's right. <laughs> <laughs> you know when she says no i think you would want me on your worship team i just was like this is what i i just know how to do this so like again another thought i always had was that whatever your best gift is you give that one to god and i'm like well my best gift is my singing so you probably want me to sing just that's just that's what i work the hardest on but yeah no it was very yeah. heavily guarded so as far as being a vocalist mm-hmm. is that something like you discovered in church no, I discovered singing when I was like in kindergarten. So that was during right. the blissful time when Christianity was just a religion with me, yeah. when my parents were divorced and we just went on holidays. I discovered my singing, singing along to Whitney Houston and Mariah Carey and Vogue CDs. So, right. yeah. But then you used it in every church. Yes, absolutely. Because at every church I went to, they're like, whatever the thing is that you most value you should be giving that to God. And I was like, I love to sing. So I need to be singing for God. I wouldn't want God to feel like he gave me this gift and I didn't use it for him. Yeah. So that was every church I went to. That was always the goal. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So then I will admit, and you know, I owe, I owe lots of apologies for lots of things to lots of people for my time at Hillsong from, you know, like I just feel bad being a part of it for as long as I was. And, you know, being a person who would have, you know, are you are you in a connect group? You want to come to my connect group? Are you, <laughs> That's okay. You know. But you were doing it because you were told you know. that that is how you could help God out. Like we wanted, we loved God. We wanted to help Him, and we were told this is how you help Him. Yeah. So for that kind of stuff, and then for for as far as like the worship team, you know, I don't think I ever. I hope I never like did anything mean to you Um, but just kind of knowing like within myself like I was a hater and not because and not because not because of you personally not anything but but you know how in in Hillsong 
There can only be one. There can only be one brown person at a time. And so here you come. And then that's like, well, there can only be one. And she's it. Oh, wow. No. And that, and like, you and that's. feel that way. But I don't even think, again, there can only be one brown one at a time. We were never scheduled together. Right, right. I met you every time we interacted, it was outside of church, or I started following your blog about being a single woman in the church, which spoke to yeah. me. Like, I felt like I was reading what I wrote when I read your blog. But I don't think, no, I never felt that from you at all. Not at all. Good. Because, I mean, because that's just one of those things that, like, like, you know, when you're looking back at it, back at it now, and I'm like, oh, like, that's another one of those things where they just set you up. Mm-hmm. They pitch you You know, and they, and they talk so much about, you know, generosity and how there's room for everyone, and it's a, what is this, a river? It's not a pie, and, and all this other stuff. But you're like, no, this is definitely a pie. Yeah. There can only be one. And, you know, we're all trying to get to the top of this ladder. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, and then for me, I'm like... You got Cheris Vaughn and Ashley Jones. Where am I going? Yeah. What after am I you, after you've here? invested years going to Hillsong College and everything, like, oh, I forgot to put that. I almost went to Bible college. Thank God I had a mother who said, please do not do this. Please go to University of Michigan. You have already gotten into a great music school. This is what you want. Mm. Like, my mom had to have a sit down with me because I was so deep in the, oh, I will never forget. Wait, okay, we got to have this story. We have the, my church, this is the Word of Faith, Kenneth Copeland Loving Church. Yeah. Um, the Bible study place that they always endorse is Rama Bible Training Center in yeah. Oklahoma. And everybody who's anybody at that church went there. And we every year we had the living word conference and everything. And I somehow got it in my head that God told me during that conference, what a coincidence that God suddenly is speaking to me at this conference where I'm hearing all of the same messages over and over again in commercials and in little blurbs. And now I think God has spoken to me. Oh my God. And I am called to be an evangelist and go to Hillsong. I thought I was called to be a healing evangelist and go to Hillsong. And I told my mother, and she sat me down in the living room and like had a picture of me in like my choir uniform from high school. Cause I was at that time I was planning to go to university of Michigan to study music. And mm-hmm. them was like one of the top five music schools in the country. And I got in, this is like a big, big deal. And my mom was like, Cheris, I'm not trying to mess your dreams up or tell you that you're not called by God, but this like, I just look at this picture of you here and you like, you love to sing so much and you've been so happy to go to university of Michigan. And this is a big switch really fast, kind of out of nowhere. Can you just take some more time to think about this? And if you go to U of M and you still feel that you're called to be a healing evangelist, you can go to Rama after, you know what I mean? Like she, it was, she, the way she delivered it was excellent. I don't even know if she knows that she like saved my life. I'm so glad I didn't go but I'm going through now if I go to Bible college I'm trying to imagine like oh my god so I forgot to put that in the story that was before going to college that was at 18 and my mom talked me out of it thank you Mary Vaughn for talking me out of that bless you soul bless you (laughs) listen to your mother guys (laughs) sometimes yes sometimes with yes have healthy boundaries boundaries but but if um your mother yeah 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 so all right so you're backstage Backstage. you have a breakdown 2015 you're like i gotta get out of here Mm -hmm. 
Where was the process with Disney like at that point? At that when- point, and that was one of the odd things. So I was working, I started working for Disney in 2013. I did two contracts and then mm-hmm. I came, I was in New York for a while and I I was telling myself, okay, I've been away. I've seen Europe. I really just want to hunker down in New York. And also right before I left for Disney, I was told that Tyler, who was like the head worship leader at the time, wanted to bring me on as a worship leader. Because for remember, I don't know if you remember, there was a, a team night where someone didn't show or someone wasn't available to sing that song that I, I will rise. What was it? I don't even remember the words. Yay for healing. I'm forgetting the Hillsong words finally. The song that said, uh, I will rise. Yeah. And they had, and they're like, so for some reason I ended up singing it because someone wasn't there or something. And I was like, okay, sure. And then I sang it and everyone was like, oh my God, where did she come from? And I was like, I told you that I did I do this for a living. Like, I don't know. Anyway, they had planned, they were, they were saying, Tyler was saying that he was going to have me be a worship leader. And then I went off to the ship a week later and I was like, oh no, God has called me to lead worship and Hillsong has finally given me my moment and I'm missing it. So um, to answer your question in a roundabout way, at that point, I was trying to just hunker down in New York and focus on trying to aim for Broadway auditions and trying to be available for church. Mm-hmm. So that's where I was at the at that point. Yeah. And I made it seven months in New York until I was like, I hope Disney calls again. And then sure enough, they called me and they're like, we had an injury on the ship. When can we, when can we fly you to Spain? I was like, now, fly me to I'm ready tomorrow. Um, and that was like July of 2015. The breakdown, I can't remember when it specifically happened. But I know on that day, Joel was preaching a message about grace. And it was so infuriating for me on so many levels. Because one, mm. my name actually in Greek means grace. It's the Greek. Mm. It's supposed to be Kadis is the actual pronunciation. And if you look in the Bible and use your Strong's Concordance and all that, that we all had five copies of. It's my name right there. It means God's grace, brotherly love, charity, and everything like that. Yeah. So round one of me getting upset in this moment, I wasn't even, was, okay, my literal name means this. This has been prophesied and spoken over me, and I'm still going, where is this grace? Because I don't feel like I've ever received it. Like, I never, I always feel like I'm in this by myself. Where is the grace? Right. Then number two, I'm backstage because I think I was serving in the afternoon services, so I attended the morning service just to listen. And then I'm backstage in the afternoon service, and it was like, I'm looking around, and I'm like, yeah, I don't see any grace here. There, it, this, is, this is not, we're on stage with the holy music, and everyone's emotionally vulnerable, and we're receiving these messages and being told this message, and then I'm looking at the operation of how this works backstage. There is no fucking grace here what is going on so then i just looked around and i start sobbing it was just like a, ah! and i just kneeled down on the floor oh, was there and she just gets on the floor and rubs my back she thinks i'm having like a holy ghost experience little does she know i'm like no if the holy ghost was with me he is leaving me at this very moment because i'm done with this whole life um and that was my last time at church. I was just back. That's the last memory I have of Hillsong. I was backstage on the floor having, I think it, I would say now, now that I know that I have that issue, I think it was an anxiety attack over this whole grace thing. 
There have been many of those attacks. Like I have a history of anxiety now that I've gotten out of church and I see doctors and have common sense. I've learned that I have an anxiety disorder. Didn't know that then. I kept trying to pray it away. So I, I had been having, and I told, shared with Mary months before that I was having like these really bad panic attacks and anxiety attacks and I'm praying for healing and, and I'm not getting healed and I don't know why. And I'm completely in faith. Only God can fix this. Why isn't he helping me? <laughs> so. All right. So you walk out of Hillcombe. <laughs> you head to Spain. And then, I mean, I can't. Times get murky for me and I don't know. I mean, I remember like we met up a few times. Like I remember, you know, meeting in the park and talking about yeah, stuff. Yeah, and having pizza. And then I think. Yeah. I think you needed help moving and I helped you move with some people. Yeah. You were living, cause you were living in Washington Heights at that time. Yes. Yeah. And then we went, saw a Broadway show together. Yeah. The, the worst Broadway show that was ever. <laughs> the, uh, the... <laughs> and then I don't know. I feel like, I mean, we never, we never like lost track of each other, but like I, I'd see you on Instagram and you know whatever. And then as I was like transitioning out of Hillsong <laughs> and then out of faith, like I was like like not necessarily trying to be quiet about it, but also not really pressing it. Um so then it would always be kind of like tentative to me, you know, when talking talking to people from Hillsong or talking to, you know, yeah. <laughs> trying to kind of like gauge where they're at and how much I can say and you don't want you know, to hypnotize and drag back in. Not even that. Like, I don't, like, I don't, because I'm like, I'm not in danger of that. That's not going, <laughs> you're not going to get me. Um, but I don't, I'm also not trying to argue with you. I'm not trying to hear, yeah, you know, a spiel. And also, I don't want to take anybody else's faith away. Like, I don't want to, you know, yeah. say something that's going <laughs> to trip somebody else up. I'm just being, you know, kind of, eh, I don't know. And then, and then with you, we, I don't even remember what we were talking about, but then it was just kind of, you know, came out and you're like, girl, I'm not in church and I'm not, (laughs) (laughs) I'm, I'm done. I'm through with it all. So now it's like, Ooh, do tell. (laughs) I probably posted something on Instagram because I started posting in my story, just some stuff because I've especially noticed the connection between the perpetuation of white supremacy in the church. Yes. I've noticed that a lot lately. And I'm like, I'm thinking back to even word of faith, that church where it's an entirely black church in a relatively poor neighborhood. And you're preaching, you're using the fact that we're vulnerable. You're using our vulnerabilities, the fact that the world tears us down and that we're all financially in a bad place. And you're preaching this prosperity gospel to drag us in. Then mm-hmm. teaching us to submit, 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 no matter what you're teaching us that, my own body that God that I was born into this earth in is a sinful wrong body and that it can't be trusted. So you're instantly telling me not to trust my intuition, not to t- trust my own ability to think that the scripture about leaning not to your own understanding was a staple, was a staple in every message. So it's like, I'm putting these pieces together and I'm like, this is your, this is mind control. I'm walking in the door. You're telling me something's innately wrong with me, no matter what, that I was born this way, born a horrible sitting human being. And then you're saying, oh, but here's the answer to it. But if you have any questions about any of these answers, you're wrong and you're not allowed to answer them. But you have to take this as fact and you are not allowed to question this fact and everything needs to revolve around this fact. 
And then before you know it, you get dragged into this abyss of circular reasoning and you can't get out of it because it starts with a logical fallacy that you're taking as fact. You're, so you're trapped. Yeah. And then you've got the fear of hell added on top of that, which to be honest is what kept me in the church longer and what kept me in Christianity longer. At the, to, if I'm being honest at the back of my mind, I was like, I'm afraid I don't want to make God angry. And he sent me to hell and I burn in hell for eternity after doing all this work for him. Like, yeah. if I'm going to go there, I want to bust them doors wide open. Like, what can I do? <laughs> Who can I rob? Like, I don't want to be going, going in there after all this. Yes, I, I want to earn, earn, earn it. I want to earn it. Going. But then it just naturally, I just really started looking at it. And I was like, well, if this, is, this, this version of God is correct, then he knows my heart and he knows all my thoughts. And he knows that I can't honestly say that I believe this. And if I don't believe it, I'm, I'm screwed anyway. So that's when I was just like, okay, I can really let this go. Cause I have no way to even try to work this into my life and also have a healthy, have emotion, be emotionally and mentally healthy. Like I can. So like when, when did, when did you like kind of let it go? I'd say around 2019 ish, maybe like a year ago. Mm-hmm. And I still have moments where I'm like, oh no, what if I'm wrong and I'm they're right? And I'm like, chair is fine. Look at all this evidence. And if they are right and you are wrong, truth be told, is that type of God one that you could be in love with anyway? Because you have to fully love him to even get into this kingdom they're talking about. Are you able to love this this God? I'm like, nah, I, I can't. I couldn't even fake it. Like, and he'd know if I were faking, right? It's like, so it's something yeah. you have to just go... I have to take, I have to shoot my shot. And yeah. So around 2019, I also started listening to that other podcast, um, the life after I don't even remember how I found it. And then there's another one called born again, again. And it, it makes you aware of how good we've had it too. Cause I mean, these, some of these people get on here and tell their story and it's, there's, there's rape and abuse involved. And I'm like, I mean, I'm dealing with a lot, but I, Oh, I'm, Wow, I can't even these women that are coming out at Hillsong saying that they were sexually abused backstage in the green room with the green juice that was so holy we couldn't even go near it. It's like yeah. I can't imagine what they're all going through. So Yeah. I mean different different things about Hillsong enrage me, you know, daily. Like <laughs> I hear more stories and find out more things and I'm just like, oh my goodness. Um, but like the thing that's really, really weighing on me lately is just like, for as much as Hillsong, you know, talked about how we champion women and you know, flourish, baby, flourish, and all this stuff, and I'm like, behind the scenes and underneath, now I'm like, oh my, Hillsong hates women. Hillsong hates women. Hillsong and loves white man and hates women. It hates women, and the way women were being treated. I mean, and we saw it. To a certain extent, on the platform, anyway. Clearly, even Laura, who's supposed to be the co- was supposed to be the co-pastor, she only came out every now and then, whatever cute outfit and heels, just to be Carl's pretty wife and maybe do the offering scripture. She maybe, barely yeah. ever spoke. She they never let her be in charge of anything. Like what it was it, until it was time for the um, women's event, and then all of a sudden, yeah. yes, Laura's the pastor. Church. I'm like, where's she been? You've been hiding her back in your green room sipping green juice because she has a vagina. You don't value her. No. 
No. And yeah, yeah. So like you, we saw it on the surface, but then now just hearing the stories of just how women were being used and abused. And then, you know, men were being protected and promoted while women were being punished and, you know, just shunted aside. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, oh. And so, so again, like knowing, you know, how I was part of it for so long and played into the system for so long um and you know just having to deal with that but then then just thinking about it from the terms from the perspective of like an artist um and realizing how much just what a huge huge part music played in it all yeah and how that drew not just us but so many people and still the music is the thing like that's what people Mm -hmm. No Hill Song for. Yeah, and that is Hill Song's hook. That's the pool. That's the thing. Exactly. So as as an artist, as a musician, as a vocalist, how do how do you feel about the way music is used? The realization I've had about the music there is what I think broke my heart the most. Cause like I had always prided myself on being a worship leader and leading people in the worship. And I'd sing like at other churches and people would just start sobbing. So it was always spoken over me that I have this gift that releases people. Like this, I think some pastor prophesied over that it's called a breakout gift or something where I would start singing and just people just start crying. I'm like, I don't know what I did. I just sang the song, Jesus. Um, um, oh my God. And I don't like, oh my God. This is my first time talking about this since I realized it. And it's so dear to my heart. Music is a science. There are specific chord progressions and there are specific ways that you can write music that it elicits a certain emotional response. Mm -hmm. And I, knowing music theory and knowing those things as I studied in school have been so disappointed and disillusioned to realize that really the music at Hillsong is really meant to put you in the most vulnerable possible position so that you are open to you're more vulnerable to obey Mm. and to do like, you know, backstage and anyone who's done praise and worship at church knows this. It's called, we got to prepare their hearts. We got to prepare their hearts. What it really is, is you're emotionally and breaking someone down and getting them to the most vulnerable spot possible so that you can come in and say, whatever your agenda is and they will be so emotionally drained and so open to it that they're like, yes, I agree. Um, hypnosis works the same way. Actually. Uh, I've done, I've done it a couple times, like working on the cruise ship. There were these guys that would come and they hypnotize you. People think brainwashing and hypnosis is like some secret. It's just psychology. That's Mm. all it is. They put you in a very relaxed state and hypnosis will not work without that relaxed mentally vulnerable state praise and worship is the exact same way they started it even has a formula you notice how the songs were always the same it's always like we're gonna sing the first song to get this is the song that we've been singing for 20 years everybody knows this song even the atheists know this song so we're all gonna sing it together because we're all friends of jesus and we're cool that's the first song the first song, you're walking into church and you're nervous and you're like, oh no, this is cool. Okay. 
And it's like, it kind of sounds like in sync. So like, I'm cool. And then, you know, I'm not uncomfortable like I was at my grandma's Catholic church. And I'm dancing, I'm bopping around. Wall number one broke it down. Then the second song is a little slower. Mm-hmm. And it's, oh, we're going to just reflect. And then the worship leader, and I've been that worship leader, think about, think about, uh, how you want to give yourself to God and what have you done this week that, that, that maybe you shouldn't have, and you just want to surrender it to God. Right. And then it's that song. You're starting to break them down emotionally. You're making them think of their most vulnerable, vulnerable moment in that week. And you're going, we want you to focus on that. And then that puts you in a place of shame. You're ashamed of yourself. That puts you in a place of, Oh, and if you're not feeling shamed, it's, it puts you in a place of, I should have done better. God's probably disappointed in me. Oh, I need to worship in good and hard in this one. Oh, he's so worthy. He's so worthy. That's song number two. Song number three is the cornerstone or the, what was that one that really, that the Taya Smith one that everybody sings? It's like oceans, oceans, Jesus, <laughs> oceans. It, it's, 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 it's a slow breaking down. So there's that process as a musician. Also, I know as a musician that the moments where they have the key changes and you're a musician, you know, this for those of you who don't know a key change in music is when you go from one key of the music, you know, when you're listening to a song and the mood of the song suddenly shifts and you don't know why you just heard a key change. That's mm-hmm. what the key change is. The key change was always strategically placed in the moment where the crowd was getting excited. It was called, we would practice in worship and they'd call it a build. So the keyboard player gets on the keyboard and he goes from blank to and they're on the drums and they're building it up, building it up. Like with everything has this huge build. That's why people always like pass out in the spirit afterward. It's the music. It's the mm-hmm. music. I'm sorry to tell you, it's not you're, to, according to my experience. It's not experiencing the presence of God like I thought it was. I was devastated to realize that it is the actual music having an effect on my brain and my emotional vulnerability, creating this perfect storm of emotion and making me think I'm having an experience with God, and it's not. And it makes me so sad to even say that out loud where other people are going to hear it. It's Because for a long time, that was my life. I was like, all I want to do is lead worship and, Mm -hmm. and be a wife. Like, So saying that is really, it's I'm heartbroken. Um, one of the moments I had when I really realized this, that confirmed it was, this was after being out of church for a while. This is around 2018. And I was performing with, I sang with this wedding band. We would do, if we weren't singing at weddings, sometimes we would sing at Brooklyn Bowl. And we're singing at Brooklyn Bowl and it's getting hyped up and it's getting good. And then we start, it was an old school night. It was a Prince Michael Jackson night. No, that's what it was. So we were singing all Prince Michael Jackson hits. We get to Purple Rain. And I noticed in that interlude that people start lifting their hands up mm-hmm. and people are crying and I'm about to cry. And I'm like rocking back and forth and holding my chest and lifting my head up. And I was like, why does this feel like a praise and worship service? We're singing mm-hmm. purple rain. That was when it hit me that I'm like, it's the music. It's not, it's not, Oh my God. Like, I was so sad. I was, cause at that point I was still trying to hold on to it. And at that moment, like I found myself like, purple rain. like, and I was like, Oh my God, I just worshiped to purple rain. Like it's the music. Very disappointing moment. But it could be, I mean, I think music is what actually 
Because I don't know. I don't like. I don't. I don't believe in hell. I don't. Oh, that's good. That must be. I'm still. I'm still wondering. I'm like. And also, I really want there to be a place for child molesters to go. Because if there's no hell, I'm like, dang, that means they don't get theirs ever. I don't. I'm still working on. Well, I don't think. Like, I don't think the conception we were we were raised with. Absolutely. Like, yeah, like no. I can't. Like, heaven was never somewhere I particularly wanted to go because it sounded really boring to me. Really? Like the way the way it was sold, I was like, I don't, I don't know. Um, but now, like, like having listened and read and different stuff, and there are so many different theories about. But it is, so I'm like, I'm kind of good with, like, I, I just can't imagine not being. Like, so I'm like, I think there is something else. I got you. And music is part of, like, what makes me believe in that. I'm like, I, I can, like, hear eternity in music. Exactly. And it's like, there's so much. And, like, we never run out of it. And, like, to me, yeah. I'm like, this is, this is, this is a God thing. Yeah. And it, it's not limited to church. It's just not um, what we were taught it right you can you can worship the purple rain and i'm like like and i feel like like god can be in that moment like i think it's it's something yeah we can definitely abuse it and that's what church does and it takes it and uses it for its own means but like like i don't think i don't think you have to take take like god out of it i like that i think it is divine and it is eternal and it is bigger than us and like and it can it can hold it is spiritual it is i think it can hold you know hold those moments but yeah i think like something the church has done is like try to just try to claim it and try to you know it only counts here it only really matters here it's only real here yeah exactly and like for me like at this point i can't even i can't even listen to worship music like it's Nope. It's triggering. Same. I was at a grocery store because I live in Florida now. So there are a lot of places here where like it's it's very, very Christian. I was in a grocery store and they're playing worship. I was like, "Uh uh-uh, no, I do not need chicken today. Bye. I can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. But church like just limited so many things. And like this is this is how we worship. Like like the fact that, you know, music, music is worship. And like we stop like living our lives to enter into this moment of worship. And I'm like, no, I think our whole lives are worship. Like anytime I love that. I'm doing something that I enjoy or yeah. that I'm good at, or I'm just having a moment, like I think we're supposed to enjoy our lives. And I'm like, that's that's worship. And yeah, I can stop and take a moment and add some music to that. But like it's not I don't have to go to Hillsong and, and hear Taya belt out what you call right. it, oceans, oceans and waves or whatever. <laughs> You're right, right. though. The, the reason music has that ability in it, it's like it has God in it. We can see it right there, but then we pigeonhole it into church. Right. And then we seem to think they're mutually exclusive. And it's right. not the case at all. Because Purple Rain was popping, our hands were up. I, or I will never forget being at a Whitney Houston concert. Whitney Houston has always been my idol. I love her. Oh my God. She's the best singer ever. Yeah. I saw her perform. I went two times. I saw her on the bodyguard tour when I was eight. My dad took me and I saw her on the, my love is your love tour when I was 16. And my mom took me both concerts. That woman opened her mouth and I started sobbing. There is a, there is God in that voice. Like, yeah, but it, it wasn't in church. There wasn't, it wasn't anything spiritual. And I think that's why at a concert it's, 
so much healthier because you go to a concert to enjoy it, to have that experience, and then you go home instead of having someone tell you, now I'm going to tell you the exact way that you need to live your life and every decision you make. That's when it becomes, I hate saying the word brainwashing because I know that sounds extreme, but it really, it does become a form of, it becomes a form of manipulation when you put that message right after it. And then you have the guy get up on the keys at the end asking you these deep questions about life to make you cry again. And then you want to answer the altar call 20 times in a row. It's all just this staged. It's a performance. It's a performance. And for so long in church, I was taught that like the fact that I wanted to perform on Broadway, that performing is wrong, that my gift should only be used for worship. And that if I use it for performance, like at Disney or somewhere else, it's self-indulgent or I want Mm -hmm. the applause or the attention. I'm taking the glory from God. I'm like, no, performance is good because it makes people happy. But then in church, you're telling me that performance is not good, but then you've taken a performance, put it in church, and then stacked it with, now I'm going to manipulate you, and you're telling me that I'm wrong for wanting to go perform on Broadway or something. And here you are literally using it to control people's lives and influence their decisions. You're wrong. You are using a performance to tell me I'm wrong to want to perform. Yeah. Like, really? Like, no, you just want free vocal labor and stuff. Like, no, no, thank you. No, thank you. It's so sad. They wanted the free vocal labor and they would get it and we would want to give it to them. That's the big thing about the manipulation of this this whole system that is really crazy is that, I don't know, but I'm sure you experienced this too at Hillsong College. You must have. When you ask questions, they have this way of sitting down with you and convincing you that you are mistaken but in this way that makes you feel like they're doing it because they care. Mm-hmm. It's like the only thing I could liken it to is when I like, when I know people who've been in physically abusive relationship and right after he knocks her in the face, he's like, babe, but you know, I love you. I just did that. Cause you know, I, you made me angry. And if you don't make me angry, I won't hit you anymore. It's like, they turn it on you. And then first of all, they make you think that you're wrong for asking the question. Because it always came down to, well, God is perfect, and we represent God. So if you question us, you're questioning God, and you're, you're wrong. Then you're like, oh, no. Then that fear is in you from many years of hearing about hell. It's, it's the stacked thing. It's the fear plus the manipulation plus the, the perfect concoction of emotional vulnerability from praise and worship. It's like it's a perfect storm, and you yeah. can't get out of it. Yeah, and yet somehow we did. We did. I actually think part of my escape, I thank God for the, for working on the cruise ship. I think me being away for nine months at a time kept me from going too deep Mm -hmm. at Hillsong specifically. I could have, I probably, if I were there in New York, I would have ended up much deeper in than I was. So I give my props to the cruise ship and to my mama for telling me not to go to Bible college. That's that's why. Because like the, the deeper you know, the higher you go, it's like the deeper you get in, it plays on so many things. Because again, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it is a performance. It's attention. It is seductive. You start climbing that ladder, you start getting that attention. Exactly. Who doesn't like that? Especially when you attach it to God's approval. Who doesn't want that? The getting the attention thing, I think a lot of people really, even though they assume when you want to sing, you want attention. You know, and I know as singers, it's just that feeling, that communic that feeling of communication on stage with the audience that's really what we love it's not the applause even though they're totally fun don't get me wrong but it that's what it is it's that moment of connection with thousands of people whose names you don't know and you feel like you're all on the same page 
And they, so when they attach that to God's approval, it's like, then it becomes a, well, if you get to this point, you've, well, that's another subject I want to talk about this whole marriage thing and God's approval, especially for women. Let's do that. Listen. Um, they, it, it, they, they have this way of telling you that you're on this stage and, and you're on frontline vocals with your mic muted because you have been chosen by God. You were one that showed God that you were willing to sweep the floors and clean the bathroom and, and work in the nursery with the babies. I did that, which is really awesome, by the way. I would do that anytime. Um, you, so you've stood the test and now God is so proud of you. It's like a lot of us walk in there with insecurity yeah. issues anyway. And then when you tell me I've got God's approval like that, for me, that was all I wanted. And that was what was my downfall with church. I was like, if you're yep. telling me God approve, will approve me if I do this, I will do it. If God will approve of me, if I lay in the middle of the street, I will do it. Like, let's, let's go. Like that. I was that my mind was that focused on it. Right. So of course, when you get on worship team and get to do what you love with your muted mic and the pretty lights and pastor Carl saying hi to you backstage and making jokes with you and stuff, then they make it like this, you've, like you've passed the test type of thing. Yeah, yeah it's, it's validation. Of, of validation. Exactly. And let's be honest, we all look for validation. We all, Especially when you walk into the doors of church yeah. and they start you on the baseline of you're a sinner and you're evil and something's wrong with you. It immediately sets you up to desire their validation. Immediately. So that's that and that's a wrap on episode 2.2. And again, it's just the tip of an iceberg that left me with a lot to chew on, a lot to think about, and a lot to reclaim. Because it's not just music that the church declared itself the ultimate authority and arbiter of, not the only thing it taught us to devalue and distrust outside of its orbit. So many of us, too many of us, were taught that our relationship with God was ultimately all that mattered. And whether or not you still believe that's true, how unfair would it be for it to be shackled to a place that not everyone has equal access to? or equal access in. So I think the things we love, the things we're good at, the things we want to do, the gifts we have been given and want to use to reshape our worlds and the world, they are ours to use everywhere. And so I'm encouraging us all to start reevaluating and reclaiming the things that the church tried to convince us that they were supposed to own and be in control of. Thank you to Cheris for another great, great conversation. And thank you for listening in. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, I hope you'll take a moment to jump on Apple Podcasts and leave a review. And while you're on the internet, be sure to find, follow, and support Cheris on Instagram at CherisVaughn and CherisVaughn.com on the www. And if you haven't already, follow this podcast at God Has Not Given on the Gram and or check out the blog at GodHasNotGiven.com. Hit the show notes for all the links. Tell your friends, be well, and I will talk to you soon. I am an eagle.